Now all of China knows you're here. Perfect. Few Disney films raise the stakes so quickly as the opening minutes of Mulan. The terrifying villain Shan Yu leads his men into China, while the Chinese soldier bravely stands up to him and lights the fire, sending a signal to the other watchtowers along the Great Wall of China. Luckily, right as it starts to get maybe a little too intense for little kids, the story moves on. But if we look beyond the scary, we actually see one of the world's earliest forms of communications at play, the smoke signal. And while Mulan isn't historically accurate in every regard, turns out that Mushu isn't a real dragon, the creators of the movie actually did get this bit of history right. So when did the Great Wall of China get built? That is a more complicated answer than you might think, because thousands of years ago, what's now known as China was full of several kingdoms of war. And a lot of them had built walls to protect themselves. Then, in 2020 BC, Xin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China, united the kingdoms and so went on to unify the wall. For the next few dynasties, people would add a little bit here or remodel a little there. And then in the Ming Dynasty, which ran from 1368 to 1644, they built another 4,000 miles, which is pretty much when it ended. At a whopping 13,000 miles, give or take a few. Every few miles, depending on the threat level and altitude, there was a big watchtower. Each consisted of three stories. The top floor serves as the lookout, which had a bundle of wood ready to light in case they saw enemies approaching. The bottom floors had bunks where the soldiers slept, storage, and farm animals. The Great Wall was an architectural and military feat that built a lasting legacy. The primary function of the Great Wall of China was to defend against attacks from the north, and it being a massive physical barrier wasn't enough. They also needed to be able to share military messages across the kingdom as quickly as possible. If an enemy was approaching the wall, there were a number of different signals a guard could send. If it was during the day, then it would be smoke, and at night, it would be fire. There were different signals for if there was just one person, 50 people, or thousands of people approaching. So regardless of circumstance, everyone knew what the signals were, what they meant, and what the plan of action would be if they went off. Signals would quickly travel down the wall and then be relayed back to the generals and emperor, making sure that everyone in the military had the same information as soon as it was available. And for the most part, it worked. Except for King Yo who briefly reigned in his kingdom in 781 BC. So this was 500 years before the wall was officially joined together, but the signaling systems were already intact. King Yo wasn't the biggest fan of his wife, and because men in power can do whatever they want, he got rid of her and their son, deciding instead to make his concubine his queen. Apparently, it was hard to make her laugh, and the only thing that did the trick was having him put up fake smoke signals to stir up some trouble. This caused the noblemen and military to come running to defend him, when in reality, there wasn't any danger. It seems that the two of them had a very sinister sense of humor. 
He went on to do this a couple of times, and people started to get fed up, particularly the father of his previous wife. So when the ex-father-in-law and his buddies showed up to overthrow King Yo, he sent up the signal, nobody believed him, and his kingdom was overthrown. So now we can see that this incredibly robust communication system that had worked for thousands of years can get a little disrupted when one person gets too indulgent and it can ruin it for everyone. As experts have studied the Great Wall of China, they've been able to find remnants of this old form of communication, whether it's bundles of wood aging back to the Han Dynasty, ancient poems about warfare, or the petrified piles of animal scat. It's pretty wild to think how far we've come, but also how little has really changed. We've all played the game of telephone in elementary school. It teaches us the same lesson as the story of King Yo. Clear, consistent communication matters. This is the real-life version of the boy who cried wolf. When everyone is on the same page, life can go smoothly and your kingdom's protected. But if one person veers out of line, then it's mildly embarrassing when you tell the teacher you heard the wrong word or your kingdom is overthrown by a vengeful grandpa. Today, let's find out how to minimize those mistakes. Now, we all know clear communication with your customers is vital, yet so much customer communication is pretty bad. So for this episode, we talked to Erica McManus, founder and COO of Instant Teams, to see how CX leaders can better communicate with their customers. So if you can treat communication just like you would any other process flow at a very high level, it really makes all the difference. So light up some fire emojis and tell a friend about this episode. Make sure your father-in-law isn't plotting behind your back, because today we're learning about developing a communication ethos. Welcome to Often Imitated, a podcast about remarkable experiences from the past and how they inspire people to create great customer experiences today. This episode is all about developing your communication ethos, how smoke signaling on the Great Wall of China paved the way for mass communication and what CX leaders can learn from their processes. In this episode, we talk to Erica McManus, founder and COO of Instant Teams, about how she's created a customer communication ethos to streamline their CX. Often Imitated is brought to you by the generous support of our friends at Oracle, creating data-powered, seamless marketing experiences that delight your customers. To learn more, go to oracle.com slash CX. Erica McManus and the people at Instant Teams work to connect military spouses to remote work around the world. Yeah, so at Instant Teams, basically we are building high quality customer support and operation teams utilizing a globally located military connected talent group. So we are bringing a tech enabled managed services solution to the table. We do have our own proprietary technology that allows us to build these teams within five to seven days, which is definitely a marketplace value when you're looking to outsource and scale up or down with customer support. But it's the talent pool that really sets us apart and that we are mission driven to employ the military connected community. And right now we're sitting at about 300 employees and 96% are military spouses. So it's a really unique way to bring social impact to a community that I am a part of still to this day and care a lot about but also bringing something that's innovative and very functional and solving problems in the business space as well. 
Erica saw a huge opportunity in what was an overlooked community. So she got to work. The need that kind of led us to starting Instant Teams was twofold. I have a co-founder. She's a entrepreneur. She's also a software engineer. So she brings the tech side to the house. So she saw in the tech space, she was a software engineer building solutions as, a, as an entrepreneur and saw the need in the tech space for access to quick remote teams, people that you could just scale up and down when you needed. And there was no like ready way to find those people or to know where to go. And I, at the time, was also building community growth, user acquisition teams for startups out in California. But I was doing it with my ready community around me, which were military spouses. And I'm not sure how many people are familiar with the military connected community, but very nomadic. I've moved 12 times in 17 years as a military spouse and constantly saw the need for, hey, if I'm going to progress anywhere in my career, I need a remote component to this. I need something that can move with me. So when I saw that I was able to do that with what I was building for these startups out in California, I had that aha moment of there's a bigger scale here. We can really build big remote teams using this talent pool and bringing the solutions to these customers and these companies that don't even know these people are sitting here highly qualified, highly ready to be employed, digital savvy. So bringing all of that together is really where we set out with at Instant Teams. And it's been really cool to see that we're getting there. Bringing together a vast military community is easier said than done. Erica had to figure out what to tackle first. One of the first things we created at Instant Teams was a remote communication ethos. And I know ethos is a strong word, but it was like beyond SOP, beyond policy. Like how do we actually communicate? And what are the modes we use to communicate? And how do we brainstorm together? And a lot of times it's making really weird images in Canva with like boxes and words. And and then you have a conversation about it and you screen share that. And it really is helpful to have that visual. So whether it's pictorial form or SOP, I have found that making people sit down and write a flow and write a process is not a natural skill for a lot of people. But if you can train people to put the steps and the flow and then bring that to a call to talk through the problem. And then in real time, Google Doc commenting and sharing and working on it together. That's how we've built our organization. So that visual component and that shared documentation component, when you can't paint a wall and whiteboard on it together, it's not the same, but it can be just as successful. Finding out those communication workflows for your team takes some trial and error. But before you undertake any of that, Erica told us that you need to figure out what your communication ethos actually is. Of course, establishing an ethos isn't enough in and of itself. A great line of communication isn't just about processes and technologies. It's about the people who manage it. And you know, when you're a founder sitting there with just your co-founder and like, okay, we're going to build to greatness someday. Where do we start? We built that ethos for remote communication when we hired our very first employee because I was already able to see communication-wise, people bring such different communication styles to the table. People process different. We're different types of learners. And so you have to get everybody on the same page, literally, with understanding how that flows. So if you can treat communication just like you would any other process flow at a very high level, it really makes all the difference. So we really focused on things like over-serving versus over-sharing. And by that, I mean, you know, if you need to cancel something or you need to reschedule something or something there's a problem by over-serving and really paying attention to the whole conversation at hand versus over-sharing details. 
And we've we've built out a whole process and what that looks like in paragraph form. It's really become a tool that we've even been able to use in in a lead gen funnel. What is a remote communication ethos? And it kind of grabs people's attention. So over serving versus over sharing, not forgetting that you might be working alone remotely in a bedroom corner like I do all day long, but you're interactions and your workflow and your productivity are touching hundreds of people. And so it's like a weird mental space to be in. So being cognizant of that as a remote worker, like you may be quiet, you may be working alone, but what you are doing is connected in our organization to 300 people and 65 customers. And if you can keep that in the forefront of your mind, it really puts you in that positioning of my work is meaningful. My work has impact. This is connected. Other people are seeing this and can kind of just bring that remote work fear factor that comes into some organizations. And I have those conversations a lot. I can just put that at ease. Now, the consequences of a failure to communicate are not as great for us as they were in the Ming Dynasty. None of us face the threat of a northern invasion. Well, at least I don't think. Has anyone checked on Canada recently? Regardless, a single failure to communicate can have dire consequences for any organization. Yeah, so the overserve versus overshare concept, like I'll just give a really clear example would be we, especially in this past year, people are working remotely, but we also have spouses and children and neighbors and animals in the house surrounding us while we're working. So if you're on a call or you're talking to somebody and you need to hop off for a second or you need to reschedule something by just Taking that conversation from a very customer service level, like overserve. I'm really sorry this is inconvenient right now, but I'm going to need to reschedule or I need just a minute. It seems fundamental, but just verbalizing the need and the situation versus saying, hey, my dog just ran out of the house and my son dropped the dish. You would be surprised at the details that people give sometimes when they don't need to give all the details. They just need to give that service awareness of what the situation is. So we found that that was happening a lot where people, whether it was just professional experience, they hadn't been in the space, that instead of just bringing that kind of basic customer service lens to the conversation, they were really giving way too many details about what was happening in their environment around them. And even team member to team member, right? Like just respecting that everybody is human and respecting that everybody has a lot happening, bringing that to the table without oversharing those details of why, what is happening behind the scene, right? There's still business that needs to be done, right? You're still serving others. You're still putting a a solution in front of people and we still have jobs to do. So it's a very careful balance of show up for what you need to show up, but also we are respectful that we are in very family heavy environments right now. And being able to balance that is, is really something we put a lot of time and effort to. According to Erica, a communication ethos is more than just what we have to communicate about at work. We have to bring openness and transparency to every facet of our communication. And that includes how we talk about our lives outside of work. I am very operationally minded. And if there's a problem or something's not working, I'm going to ask you to see the process. So I'd like to see like the visual process. And so if somebody's having a problem or this just isn't working, we need to overhaul it. Being able to put it into a visual way really helps you, especially when you're remote, everybody can see what you're seeing, right? Like get it out of your brain so that other people can consume it and then give you feedback. And I found that any problems in any of our departments across the board is when something's not working, you can try to explain it, but sometimes putting it down in a visual form, whether it's a slide deck or sketching something out and taking a picture of it. And that might seem really fundamental, 
but overhauling anything in an organization as a founder, like you've got to put it down on paper. And I think people forget about that because we're so digital, right? Everything's on computers. You can create beautiful slide decks, but getting that function and that foundation down on paper to say, hey, what do I want the customer to hear? What is the first thing I want a customer to hear? What is the first thing I want a customer to see? And building out those nurture funnels to really pay attention to those different gateways throughout the customer experience really makes a difference when you're looking at how you can improve it. Erica pointed out to us that an effective communication ethos has long-ranging effects. It is not just about the communication. It also builds a culture of effective operations and customer support. So we really specialize on the high-quality customer support and operation teams. When we first started, as most startups do, we were very passionate. Like, we'll build a remote team for anybody in any industry. And great idea, except anybody who's done that or is in the space knows that's not scalable. So it's been interesting that the more successful we've become and the bigger we've grown, it's because we've actually niched down. And it always seemed like one of those cliche things to me when I was a very young entrepreneur to hear people say that. But you're like, oh, now four years in, I totally see how that is like a real thing. So we started out building really any team. Hey, you need a team? We'll build it for you. And that's not scalable because then your process is different for every different type of team. So where we've really found that niche is those customer support and operation teams. We do that really in, we call them our big five, five specific industries. So the customer support and operation teams have been really successful in uh, fintech companies, edtech, medtech, cybersecurity, and e-commerce. And so we've really been able to operationalize mostly across those five industries, the same type of implementation, the same type of programming to deliver those high quality teams that are meeting the KPIs and giving white glove, great customer service to whoever the customer is within those areas. So for a cybersecurity example, we actually have stood up about a team of 20 a little over a year ago, and it's a 24 by seven crisis response hotline. So it's a very large cybersecurity firm with very high level customers and our team of military spouses at Instant Teams is the first responders. And it's really cool because it's a soft skill that the community has a lot of. We're trained in crisis response, we're trained in emergency readiness, and it's that extra layer of service that the team that we've built because of that is able to provide 24-7 response to this um, cybersecurity firm. And it's also 24-7 because our military spouses live across the globe. So somebody might be working in Japan, it's their daytime, it's a normal daytime job for them, but it's overnight because the company is US based. So it's a really cool like extra perk of working with instant teams or just uh, the community that we bring to the table because of that 24-7 component is U.S.-based citizens who just happen to be spread out across the globe. As you hone in on what makes your customer experience team exceptional, you need to find out what works best for your CX philosophy. Erica has a great one. I would say our overarching customer experience philosophy is to act as that trusted advisor. And if you do, there's a lot of research out there on different methodologies and different research but because we do very highly constitute ourselves as relational sellers, that trusted advisor is that step two. So our sales team are the relational sellers. Our CS team becomes that trusted advisor. And that really allows us to have hard conversations. It allows us to celebrate successes together. So really that philosophy of customers come first, we serve with excellence, but layering in that trusted advisor level really is important to everything that we do. Erica's story shows what happens when a leader creates 
a communication ethos and follows it rigorously. Your ethos might be different from Erica's, but the important thing is that everyone is on the same page in terms of how you communicate. Once your personal communication ethos is in place, your team will be better equipped to handle whatever your customers throw at them. And then your CX will be, in the infamous words of Sean Yu, perfect. This is your host, Ian Faison. Thank you for listening to another episode of Often Imitated. Did you send those fire emojis and tell a friend? Well, if you like what you're hearing, I hope you do. If you really like it, give us a rating and review. This podcast was narrated by me, Ian Faison, and produced by Mackie Wilson, Ezra Baker-Trupiano, and Ben Wilson. This podcast is brought to you by the generous support of our friends at Oracle, creating data-powered, seamless marketing experiences that delight your customers. To learn more, go to oracle.com slash CX. Hey, how many people uh, need to uh, need to carry a message? Is it just one? Okay, yeah, kill the other people and then just just you can go. That's perfect. Perfect, guys. Okay, I'll see you at uh, the all hands. <laughs> oh, man.